0: We're reading the first eight verses of 1 Timothy, chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is God's Word.
1: Good evening, everyone. If you're joining us just tonight, though, this is the fourth and uh, last and little topical block on uh, men and women. And if you've missed the others, please don't presume what was said in any of them. We have try quite hard to, uh, to be careful. Um, and so, again, I think it would be unreasonable to presume what's been said. Uh, If you haven't been here to listen to them. But tonight is, um, uh, we're just looking at two verses in 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, slightly longer reading book, but just really two verses and thinking about them. And um, my sort of, my one other little caveat is, uh, whereas thus far, as we've looked at some foundational truths in Genesis 2 and 3, some explicit instructions, Ephesians 5 and 1 Timothy 2, This, I think, this evening is less concrete, Um, and so I just want to be honest and say that up front, because what we're going to look at tonight is more trends and patterns in the Scriptures, so less of a command to any of these, a little more speculative, Um, so I'd like you to hear them uh, in that sense. Let's have a go and see what you make of it. Let me pray together. Our great God and Father, we've sung uh, this evening how good it is to be in your family, how good it is to have you as our Father. What an extraordinary truth that is, that we're in your family, though completely undeserving. What a wonder to have Jesus Christ as our older brother, who's uh, our pioneer, the one who's led the way before us, uh, the one who has tempted in every way and yet resisted sin, we can look to him as our older brother as well as our saviour. Father, as we consider chiefly what it looks like to relate to one another as brothers and sisters with purity, help us to understand rightly what's here. But um, as I seek to help us uh, apply it into the life of the church family here, help us to work this out. Help us to be kind as brothers and sisters, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, human me. Human me as we begin. Um, and uh, this is interactive. Oh, uh, yeah, for real. Um, I'm going to ask a simple question. Are men and women different? I'm not going to qualify any more than that, okay? It's just a very simple question. Are men and women different? And thinking, well, you've been saying that for three weeks, I know. Um, but have you been listening and do you agree? Okay. So it's just, it's yes, no. Or no, I suppose you ought to have, um, what's the third category? undeclared, declared abstentions. That's it. That's the categorism when you vote in such things. Um, Okay, ready? This is like for real. So I'm asking for a show of hands. Are men and women different? If you think yes, raise your hand in the air. If you think no, raise your hand in the air. Well, we're all sheep though, aren't we? So I don't want to be the old one. Are there any declared abstentions? Uh, but then, okay, so there's a few people who just can't be bothered to raise their hand for anything. All right, all right, all right. I get, it, I get, it, I know. Okay. Now, if you've got a pen, you might want to scribble an answer to this. How do you complete this sentence? The differences, or the differences between men and women, are. Now, what do we do? And that's really what we've been exploring the last few weeks. Because I don't think it's just peer pressure. I think not, and not just because you're in a Christian church. I think pretty much if you went into the street or, or did some sort of survey, are men and women different? People would say yes. And then you'd say, and how are they different? they say, well, uh, I don't want to say. Um, I'm a bit awkward. Uh, i probably get my head shut off if I define anything. But we kind of know it. Um, we do know it. I guess you're on safe ground if you say, some have a womb and some have a willy, Uh, and you're on fairly safe ground, or whatever, sorry, whatever is polite terms. Yeah, you're on fairly safe ground, but not entirely safe ground, as we all know. Even that now, you know, 10 years ago, you could have said that and thought, well, I'm fine saying that. Even now, I don't know, not sure I want to go there. Culture is a little confused. And uh, while I don't really like the term, we've been thinking about complementarianism. Um, God made men and women equal and distinctive, equal in value and dignity, distinctive in certain responsibilities, certain roles. Most people in our country, in the West, assume that men and women are different, but are just a bit scared to say how. There's some sort of spectrum, I guess, to it. Maybe they've got the first little thing. This is, I mean, you know my diagrams. They're about they're childish, really. They're very amateur. Um, but everyone's somewhere on this spectrum, aren't they? So on some hands, some will be uh, men and women. They're competitors. One is superior to the other. And you might think that a historical position, or even today, somewhat assertical. Obviously, men, look, at it, just, they're better at these sort of things. Uh, women, you know, they're superior, must have. Uh, women are better at as being chairman of the boards because of... Character traits, more collaborative, more communicative, these sort of classical feminine character traits come out in a moment. But, um, uh, some, but you basically, you put the two sexes at war. At the other end, perhaps more common now, identicalists, there are no differences between men and women. Why on earth would you even bother to say such a thing? Um, when I meet someone, I don't think man, woman, I think what do you do and how old are you and whatever. Apart from we do notice. It's when you can't work it out, so you're a bit freaked out. We do notice. It's one of the first things we notice about people. So most people are somewhere in the middle. Men and women are complementary. They have different strengths. Is that word going to be okay? Traits. Something perhaps like that. So we don't want to blur things and say men and women are interchangeable and identical. And we certainly don't want to oppose and say one is better than the other, but two complementary equals. Now, of course, to say that um, there is a difference between manhood and womanhood is not to say that it's very simple to define or, indeed, it's all-encompassing. We are, of course, the same species. And if you're a Christian, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And uh, it doesn't say for men it looks like this, and for women it looks like that. We all grow in the fruit and the Spirit. We all grow in godliness, okay? So you don't want to be odd about it and overstate the case. Um, We're the same species. There's a lot more that's similar between men and women than is different, right? But there are some differences. And... um, if you were here for last week's sort of 90-minute Q&A epic, uh, we still didn't get all the way to to the bottom of uh, all all the questions. But men can't serve in all the ways that women can, and women can't serve in all the ways that men can. I cannot relate in the same way a woman does. I cannot nurture like a woman does. I can't understand people like a woman does because I'm not a woman. That's just Difference to that, and you could flip that round, and women could say they say men can't be women, women can't be men. But we don't want to overly caricature this either. Now, look, tonight we're turning, as I say, to one uh, Timothy uh, chapter five. And as I say, this is more general observations on church. We've looked at some foundations, as in men and women, uh, marriage and uh, church leadership. This is more generally, and as I say, um, a little more speculative, perhaps, this evening. Uh, the more wiggle room to disagree, perhaps, this evening. Um, but So hear me rightly in that. But a reminder then, 1 Timothy, we looked at this a few weeks ago, but 1 Timothy, why is Paul writing Uh, The thesis, 1 Timothy, God is a saviour. He wants all people to come to the knowledge of salvation. Therefore, you've got to get your churches organised so that um, you stop the false teachers, you raise up good teachers, but the church has got to be organised in order to hold out the message of salvation. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, I'm writing to you with these instructions, so if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves, verse 15, in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. You need to act appropriately in church as the family of God, the household of God, so that the truth is held out to a world, so that God, people can meet God, who is their saviour. That's what's going on. And household is the image that dominates in chapter 5 in particular. And of course, worth tangentially saying, uh, we struggle with some of these pictures just because of the culture we're in. Um, in the 21st century, our default setting is to think... Me. So there's something in us, even if we've been Christians for years, which comes to church and thinks or asks the question, How does this help me? Um, how How am I going to be self actualized? How am I going to demonstrate who I am? How am I going to grow in all my gifts? And that's okay. It's just not how the New Testament frames things. We think me. New Testament says we. We're more concerned with our growth together. And so we come to these these verses. Just a couple. How long can we go? Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father to younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So before we get into it, the first thing to say, do note, of course, we treat others variably, dependent upon their gender, their age, stage of life. So, at the risk of stating something obvious, Paul, Paul doesn't say, treat all older people the same as one another, and treat all younger people a bit like this, but rather treat older women as mothers and older men as fathers, younger women as sisters, younger men as brothers. He pulls out the gendered language. There's something to that here. So we can look at these three things: uh, acting as fathers and mothers, treating those older as fathers and mothers, treating those younger as sisters and brothers, and we'll be done. Acting as fathers and mothers. Now, what does it mean to treat someone as a father or a mother? Well, it depends. Obviously, there's some difference between a father and a mother. So, I actually just want to turn back to something we looked at a bit too briefly. Uh, in the first week, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, it'll come up on the screen, or um, indeed is on page uh, 1186. Okay. I think this is a very intriguing little passage that Paul gives us. Maybe it'll come up. Maybe it won't. Maybe you want to turn back to 1186, where Paul writes in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, verse 7. You will have to turn up. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we, he's using a raw we there, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know... We dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging to live lives worthy of God. I don't know if it will come up at some point. But two things to observe. if You can just see them from the text here. Paul describes himself as both a father and a mother. So he's quite content to describe his ministry with feminine traits, such as nursing, caring. How he uses them here, and masculine traits as well. So there's Paul, pretty manly in one sense, historical sense, traditional sense of the word, if you want to use it in that way. I'm not fussed, but he's certainly a risk taker, bold, courageous. And he's saying, Yeah, I, I, I'm a bit like a mum and I'm a bit like a dad to you. So don't absolutize. Men are like this, women are like this. Paul says, everyone, like me, is a mixture of these different sorts of traits. That's on the one hand. And yet on the other hand, he's entirely content to associate nursing, caring language with motherhood and exhorting, urging, pushing on language with fatherhood. He's quite content with that. Obviously, we take it for granted that dads are a bit more like this and mums are a bit more like this. But you've got to hold up to both those things, I think. While he's quite content to make uh, differences related to the sexes, he said, I demonstrate a bit of both. Or to put it in a different sense, you know that the New Testament overwhelmingly uses the language of father for God. If If you're a Christian, then God is your father. That is the language that gets used. Now, in the Old Testament, it's less specific, less clear, the revelation in, in some ways, particularly that relationship of becoming a child of God. Uh, mothering language also gets used. Are we going to get any slides, fellas, or am I just give up on them? We might do. Okay. Uh, so we've got the, uh, the mothering ones, Deuteronomy and downwards. Oh, there we go. Um, a bit wonky, but there we go. So, you know, just here's some of the language that, the, when God is content to use. Mothering language. It says, joining 32, verse 18, you deserted the rocky father. You. you forgot the God who, as a mother, gave you birth. The beautiful Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? No, mums don't do that. But even though she might forget, I'll not forget you. Isaiah 66. As a mother comforts her children, so will I comfort you, and you'll be comforted over Jerusalem. So again, it's all all leaning in a sort of nurturing, caring language. But again, don't push that too far, because you can also say, I'm like a mama bear. Uh, Hosea 13, like a bear rubbed of her cobs, I'll attack them and rip them open like a lion, I'll devour them, a wild animal will tear them apart. If you know nothing about uh, creatures, if you've never watched David Attenborough, know that much, you don't get between a mother and her cubs, kids, whatever they are, children. So again, while language may lean in one direction, don't make it into an absolute. So, and here's uh, why I could be misunderstood. So, either fall asleep or pay attention. I don't mind, but don't sort of half listen to this. Um, There is something biblically to mothers and fathers having different spheres, having different centers of gravity, leaning in different directions. In Genesis 3 or in Proverbs 31, the wife is based at home. She earns all the money. She brings in the income, but he's sort of more outward-facing and and governing the city. There's something to that. There's something towards throughout the Scriptures, men more defending, building, something towards uh, the women more nurturing, caring, Now, don't mishear me on that. Don't absolutize that. I think it's entirely possible, biblically, to be, for example, a CEO of a FTSE 100 company. But if you're a man and a woman, and you take your Bible seriously, you'll probably do it in a slightly different way. There's a more male way of being a CEO. There's a more female way of being a CEO. Probably. Probably. These things, these, sort of, these tendencies of the Scripture to push in that. Or to, uh, this is, again, this, this is my last lazy diagram. Um, not this, okay, the next one. So not these two. It's not that men are pit- like this and women are like this, and they're completely different, and there's no overlap between them, and they do their own things. It's a bit more like this, I think. I mean, I think it's sociologically true as well. There are some more masculine traits. There are some more feminine traits. But all of us are a, are a bit of a mixture blokes are a bit more to the right on average women are a bit more to the left on average in the same way we can say men are on average taller than women and no one really gets upset because we're not saying that every man is taller than every woman just on average empirically that's true i could say something which will get you know creates a bit more upset which again but again is empirically true women are more communicative than men oh caricature no Every bit of data will tell you that. Every Myers-Briggs assessment of hundreds of thousands across the globe, across all cultures, will tell you that. It's not a value statement. It's just how it is. Every social media platform has a higher percentage of women on it than are men. That's just how it is. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. It's just, on average, women are more communicative, more talkative than men. Okay? There are tendencies. There are traits And without going silly and being odd about it, it's just how it is. And biblically, men lean towards defending, building. Women lean towards nurturing, caring. But you can still do the same job, but in a slightly more male and female way. That's the bit I think. I'm saying those are tendencies in the Bible. That's not explicit. I think those are patterns. I think those are leanings. But that's a bit more speculative than other stuff we've looked at. Please hear me rightly on that. But that's what motherhood and fatherhood sort of leans in those directions. Let's get to something which is a bit more concrete and a bit more obvious than just think about what it means practically. Uh, treating those older as fathers and mothers, and then treating those younger as sisters and brothers. So back in 1 Timothy now. We're back in 1 Timothy and just these couple of verses. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father and older women as mothers. How you treat your mother and father is obviously of grave concern to the Lord. There are 10 commandments. Honor father and mother makes it into the top 10. That's interesting. And so even here, it's it's talking about a church setting to exhort a man and honor a woman like this, a, a mother like this. It's a high bar. It's a high bar. Paul, the apostle Paul himself, wasn't a father, wasn't married, but he's quite content to use fatherly language. So even if you're a single guy, you can be a father. I think you'd expect to grow into a father in a church setting as a single guy. So, for example, a few examples of his fatherly language in, um, there we go, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, we can write to a church, I became your father through the gospel. To Timothy, in, uh, to the letter of Philemon, you know that uh, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. In Philippians, in Philemon. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whose father I became while I was in chains. He's quite happy. We'll come back to Romans 16. He's quite happy to use fathering language. And there are plenty of other terms he could use. He could use, of course, teacher, guardian, friend, counselor, pastor, all very good New Testament words, all entirely sensible choices. But he goes for father. There is something suggestive about the language of father. Most boys, in particular, pick up stuff, what life is meant to look like, how they're meant to behave, for good and bad, from their fathers. Paul is a father who models contending for the gospel, giving up his life for Jesus, in that sense, fatherly. Okay. Now, very briefly, because it doesn't apply to many here, um, if you are here tonight and to be the age of a father or mother of someone in their late teens, early 20s, I mean, we're on a handful. There's not many of us here. What does that mean? Well, I think it means you take the language of elsewhere in the Scriptures, say Ephesians 6, and you seek to nourish those younger than you in the faith without exasperating them. I guess it means that as one of the older Blokes, as a father, I view rightly in a healthy sense, I should view some as daughters and some as sons and want to care for daughters and protect them, want you to grow up strong and kind, not be patronized, not be dismissive, I guess, if you're of that sort of vintage. But Paul is writing to a younger man, Timothy, and so he gives him this instruction. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him, urge him, encourage him. As if he were your father. Now, it's obvious, isn't it? it is it al- it's almost the, certainly in the West the duty of each and every younger generation to think that they know better than the one above them. That's just how we're wired. Um, oh, your attitudes are so stupid. Uh, oh, your clothes are so funny. Um, That's just, you you don't have to adopt that voice. But um, we all think, we all make that assumption. We've discovered things since you were our age. But Paul says, look, if, if the father figure has got something wrong, don't go at him. Don't rebuke him aggressively. Treat him like your dad, as if he's made a mistake. So a young man, or indeed any woman here, should be able to say to me, for example, Matt, I think you got that wrong. I think in the sermon you got that wrong, or I think in that scenario you you got that wrong. You should be able to say that. But I think Paul's saying you don't say it as the grumpy teenager. You don't say it as a 16-year-old. Volume 11 out of 10. You know, with a lot of slamming of doors. You don't say it in a petulant way. You say it as the sort of more grounded, I don't know, 30-year-old who's independent and has got loads of stuff worked out. Dad, I think you probably got that a bit wrong, didn't you? Didn't you get that a bit wrong? That's how you rebuke your dad. Dad, you can't do that. Um, rather than as the grumpy teenager. I think that's that sense. You know what I mean, I'm sure. Treat older women as mothers. Again, I'm sure there's the period where everyone thinks their mum's annoying and overbearing and too involved, but eventually gratitude, respect grows in a healthy setting. Paul had that delightful line, I don't know if it'll pop back up, in Romans 16, verse 13, he says to the church in Rome, greet Rufus and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. It's a very sweet little throwaway line that appears, which means, I guess, I'm glad for her service of me. I'm glad that she looked after me. I'm really thankful for her opinions. I've learned loads from her contributions. She's a great, she was like a mum to me. I guess it means that sort of thing. Treat older women like the kids do in Proverbs 31. She's clearly a very impressive woman, godly wife and mother. And we're told in Proverbs 31 that her children rise up And call her blessed, and she's blessed them. So, I guess for those of you at the younger end, if you're a woman here tonight, pursue godly role models. What are your aspirations? Again, biblically, I think Titus 2 is a helpful place to have a little look, because um, in Titus chapter 2, Paul can write, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home. Busy at home, not lazy at home. That's where the accent falls in the text. Uh, To be kind and to be subject to the husbands so that no one will the word of God. Discreet, chaste, homemakers good, obedient to the husbands. The word of God may not be blasphemed. Choose your role models well if you're at the younger end, and if you're at the older end of being a female, that's. You want to be a role model. But treat those older as fathers and mothers. tangently if you weren't here last week, we looked at Ephesians 5 about marriage, about what some of the things do and don't mean about submitting. Although again, you'd have to say here there's that hint of the, the wife leaning towards caring, nurturing, just leaning in that direction, you'd say. But, says Paul, look, those who are older than you, treat them as fathers and mothers, like you would do healthily to your mum and dad. The third thing, and this is, I guess, where it hits the road for most obviously for most of us here tonight, treat those younger as sisters and brothers. Let me state some obvious things and chuck out some ideas. Treat younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, look, how do you treat your siblings well, you don't want to know, actually. Well, you look—it's all sorts of things. It varies enormously. Older brothers and younger brothers—you treat them differently. And they're all dynamics, and every family is a bit different. And you know, you, well, I don't know. We just sort of shout at one another, and then we sort of make up afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I know. It'll, it'll, it'll vary enormously, depending on temperaments and characters. The command that obviously appears here is with absolute purity. Most likely to be a sexual reference. No one objectivizes their Sisters. No one ponders what their sisters look like when naked. That's just odd. Paul is writing to a younger man, Timothy. I'm sure if he was writing to a younger woman, the same would apply. You don't objectify someone of the other sex. Let me give you two practical things, I think, how it might manifest. The first, this is mainly focused at, at guys, guys. Treating younger women as sisters. The first would be protect. Protect. Uh, Very briefly, this is my last, I think, little turn away cross reference. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. You talk about marriage, but husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It is not that when you become a husband, you become physically stronger than your wives. And when you become a wife, you all of a sudden lose physical strength. There is, and I hope it's not super controversial to say, on average, men are physically stronger than women. And Paul is, Peter here is saying don't abuse that strength and if you 've been here in previous weeks, using strength to protect is a right and fitting demonstration of manhood. Do you remember the story it was two three years ago I two years ago, two years ago it was during lockdown. Do you remember the story of Bridger Walker, who was the little six year- old boy who protected his sister. We may have a little without um, being too gruesome um, what happened was uh, Bridger and his sister were, visiting. They were playing at a friend's house. The friend had the two dogs, and uh, one of them just went bonkers. A German shepherd charged these two siblings, Bridger and his little sister, and um, he stepped in front of his sister and said, Run, and the dog grabbed him by the cheek, and um, he held on to the dog so his sister could run and get inside the house. And then he's dog was resting. Of course, he got bitten several times, and uh, his face was completely cut up. He had uh, 90 stitches initially. I think he's been through six rounds of surgery, even by the time you see um, the, the picture there. Very, very sweet for a six-year-old boy to do that. And so it sort of made the international press. It's all over the world. There wasn't a lot of good news in lockdown, was there, let's be honest. So um, we also made the uh, and this is an interview with the family, and um, one guy asked him, so, Bridger, why did you jump in front of your sister? And he said, well, I thought if one of us was going to die, it should be me as her brother. And, ah, oh, sweet. But there's something about him that just thought inherently, obviously, I as the brother die for her. Obviously. He's a big fan of Marvel, so all the Marvel superheroes. Um, If you could go online. Some of them are quite sweet. The best one, I think, is Chris Evans, who puts on the full outfit and says, hey, Bridger, Captain America here. You are a hero, pal. And um, it's just very sweet. And then he got to visit them on some film set. I can't remember which one. But there's something entirely appropriate about that. If someone had to die, I thought it should be me. And I think that's right, biblically. That brothers should adopt that attitude, or to raise things, or bring things a little closer to home, a little bit. Let me try and be limited in comments. But many, of course, w- the murder of Sarah Everard last year, March, uh, March twenty-one. That was a shocking event. I mean, for I mean, there's lots to say on that. Well, one thing I—lots I, of—this uh, is not exhaustive. One thing that struck me most in some of the commentary of uh, particularly young men and uh, young women, let, columnists, columnists and letter writers and things was, oh, this is shocking because she's like me. It's shocking also because I, I, I've grown up just being men and women are equal, and now I realise, of course, we're not. There's this physicality and difference that's not going anywhere, and. I just can't process that thing, that non-equality there. There's all sorts of distrust of police and all sorts of things. There's loads of things going on. I think for the guys, I, I think, again, chatting to some here, but also stuff you read, oh, oh, that's horrific. But it's only at the extreme end of a spectrum that some young women endure every day. It's the extreme end of a spectrum, but, oh. oh, right, I don't think I'd quite realize that. And biblically, the apostle would say, certainly in a church setting, brothers, you protect your sisters, and in a culture which is increasingly individualistic, be prepared to put yourself in harm's way. Don't walk on by on the other side and don't turn the cheek. And that's entirely right and proper in terms of being a Christian man. Protect. Uh, more briefly, uh, well, let me, let me, let me to, to guys and girls. Honor. Honor. But first I want to say to, to guys, honor your sisters. Um, I was struck a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't something I planned to say. I, I said something like, uh, in the context of 1 Timothy 2, obviously, Young men, guys, you do expect to learn from your sisters, don't you? I mean, in conversations, in Bible study. I mean, I hope I don't need to say that. Obviously, that's the case. And a couple of people afterwards, young women came up and said, oh, thank you for saying that because it's not always the case. Quite often I feel patronized. Oh, I am really sorry. That's not right. Honour. Like Paul would. Uh, oh no, he's the last, he really is the of the last of the cross reference. Um, how does Paul treat of the uh, his peers or his sisters? Um, just a couple of examples. In uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 3, Paul would say, look, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. Or again, Romans 16, greet uh, Trophina and Trophosa, these women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend, Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. You see the language he uses, contended at my side, co-workers. It's the same language he uses for Titus, for Timothy. So, surely I don't need to say this out loud, but maybe I do. Honor your sisters. There is, and surely I don't need to say this out loud, but there is absolutely no doubt that in the history of this church in this last 21 years, the growth that's taken place here, all that's healthy, is as much due to the women as the men. It would not have I mean, so I don't need to say these things, do I? Surely not. The female staff have contributed as much to the flourishing of this church as the men. I mean, I don't need to say that out loud, do I? Well, maybe I do. And if you've never heard those sort of comments, I'm really sorry if you're a woman. I'm really sorry. But on the same ground, uh, women, honour your brothers and let's just not become competitors. Don't get into the mindset of, oh, the guys are like this. They're all like this. Yeah, very good. We can all be lazy and make those broad brush observations. Encourage one another in the faith. I'm not aware that's a big thing, but please know them and us. Know them and us. So there you have it. A bit more speculative, perhaps. But honour those who are older as fathers and mothers And treat those who are younger as sisters and brothers. And if you'll just permit one final thing. Can you flick on a couple of pages in a Bible? Hebrews chapter 2, page 1202. This really is the final thought. You would have observed, I hope, uh, as we've sung this evening, the songs have all contained family language, the goodness of being in God's family, the goodness of having God as a father. But we also do want to give thanks for the brother that all of us have, who is the Lord Jesus. Let me read with very little comment, Hebrews 2 and verse 10. Here is the Lord Jesus. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it's fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holier are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You hear that of you? He says, I will declare your name, the name of God the Father, to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I'll sing your praises. There is our older brother, the one who's gone before us, the one who secured our salvation, the pioneer and author of our faith. And he says, I am waiting. And in the language of Psalm 22, i when you arrive in heaven, do you know one of the things that'll happen? Is I will sing to you. I reckon he's got a good voice, Jesus, in glory. I will sing to you of your Father's greatness. Because I'm not ashamed of you, my brothers and sisters. He's the older brother we all have. We'll never operate to the same level as him. But here's the call treat those who are older as fathers and mothers, if they're worthy. I mean, not if they're completely corrupt, of course. Treat the younger men as brothers, treat the younger women as sisters, do it with absolute purity. And my prayer, of course, is that we nudge just a little bit closer to feeling that Christchurch Mayfair is the household of God, to living as brothers and sisters with purity. And we all get very annoyed with our siblings, but we never give up on them because they're our siblings. Can we move a little bit closer? That's, I think, our prayer. Let me pray. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, thank you that you give us all that we need for life and salvation in the Scriptures. Thank you for the explicit commands and central truths of the faith. But as we've considered this evening more patterns and tendencies and uh, uh, gravitational leanings that the Scriptures have for men and women, Father, we pray that, uh, my prayer certainly is that we continue to talk about these things, apply them rightly, healthily, neither rejecting it all as silly and just saying we're all the same or pushing things to a daft extreme. But Father, would we enjoy the dance of men and women, enjoy the joy of these two different sexes that you've created us to be, not as rivals, but as partners, achieving more together than we can if we were just one. Father, help us to live this out in a manner which is really healthy and a pleasure to us, we ask, as well as honouring to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.